Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, an immigration advocate and attorney reacts to recent arrests and what they mean for undocumented Mississippians. I think it's a mean-spirited bill. Right now, there are students who have deferred action for childhood arrivals who are going to colleges and universities here in Mississippi. It's possible that that bill might prohibit those students from going to uh, public colleges and universities. And after Everyday Tech, the true story of a Klansman and a civil rights activist hits the stage. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Immigrants' rights activists are concerned about how enforcement will affect Mississippians. President Donald Trump's administration is working on a new executive order affecting travel bans and deportation rules. The Mississippi House is reviewing a bill that would prohibit local governments and public universities from granting sanctuary status to undocumented immigrants. Patricia Ice is from the Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance. She has been following the activity since the inauguration of the president whom she refers to in this interview as number 45. She joins us to discuss the rights of immigrants in our state and starts by talking about a recent series of restaurant raids. What I understand is that those raids were targeted toward certain restaurants and apparently the companies targeted had been investigated for quite some time. I've heard from between one year and eight years that they were being looked at for possible I-9 violations or tax violations or harboring, etc. Do you think it's just coincidence then that, that it happened this week in light of tougher immigration crackdowns? Personally, I don't think it's just coincidental because I believe that you know, before number 45's administration, that immigration officials had been, you know, really trying hard to go out and arrest people. And I'm talking about ICE officials, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. But I think the new executive actions emboldened them to go ahead and do these raids right away. You said that there were some, um, that in this investigation, there were other reasons perhaps to go into those restaurants other than just whether 
what the immigration status was of those workers. So do you believe that those previous and even upcoming may be related strictly to immigration status, or would it be those who have other outstanding warrants? Well, what happens is even if ICE has specific reason to go into a business or a home, if there are other people there who are out of immigration status, then their practice is to arrest those people as well. So I think that, you know, even if they had targeted certain people, that they, why well, know that they could pick up other people as well? Because in the new executive actions issued by number 45, their immigration agents are able to pick up anybody who they find who is out of status. What legal rights does someone have even if they are in the country illegally? Everybody has due process rights and most of the time they have they will have a right to a hearing by an immigration judge and what I think the executive actions are saying is that they want to hire more immigration judges and they want to speed up the processes of going before an immigration judge. But there are certain people who don't really have the right to go before an immigration judge. If that person has an, a previous order of removal, then they might not have a right to go before an immigration judge. And people who are part of the visa waiver program, um, which allows them to come into the United States, without a visa. Most of those individuals do not have a right to a hearing before a judge because when they sign up for that program, for the visa waiver program, they they sign away that right. Mira, of course, advocates on behalf of uh, immigrants. Do you work with immigrants? Do, do immigrants, whether they're legal or not, have to carry papers on them in case they're stopped? What do you tell them in terms of advice? I do give um, direct advice. I am an attorney and I practice primarily immigration law and I help people get papers to stay here in the United States legally. I help them enhance their status from undocumented status to documented status and I help people get permanent residence and I help people get naturalization. And it's my understanding that if a person has permanent residence or what is commonly known as a green card, that they are required to carry that green card with them. And what I suggest to people is that they make a photocopy of the green card, that they carry the green card itself with them and keep the photocopy at home in case they lose it because there's a lot of theft and loss of the green cards. But I suggest to my clients that they carry their employment authorization documents if they are non-citizens. The Mississippi Senate has just uh, approved a bill saying local governments and colleges can't keep their employees from asking whether a person has entered the U.S. illegally. They can't try to grant special status to those who have entered illegally. Do you have a response to that bill? Of course, we're very opposed to that bill. Uh, That bill is primarily targeted at the anti-official profiling ordinance of Jackson in 2010, which I helped craft and got passed in the Jackson City Council. When we created that ordinance, we did not create it with a sanctuary city idea 
in mind. And I think it's a mean-spirited bill because what I see that bill doing possibly is uh, prohibiting undocumented students from going to colleges and universities. Right now, there are students who have deferred action for childhood arrivals who are going to colleges and universities here in Mississippi, public and private. And in my opinion, it's possible that that bill might, if, if it is passed and signed into law, that it might prohibit those students from going to uh, public colleges and universities. We need all the people we can get to go into higher education so that they can do jobs that are necessary and and follow their dreams. Patricia Ice is the director of Mira's Legal Project. Thank you so much, Patricia. You're welcome. In other news, a number of bills that could affect Mississippi elections remain alive in the state legislature. MPB's Evelina Burnett has details. Among the measures still alive is a wide-ranging election reform bill. Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman says it includes a number of important changes, like mandatory training for poll workers and staggering election commissioner terms. But he says it also creates a comprehensive guide to running an election. Before now, it was scattered all over. And so we put the code together. How do you file? How do you go through the primary? How do you conduct the election? How do you appeal the election? What are the criminal penalties? You know, how do you get service or process? All of that was all scattered all over everywhere. And so we brought them back together. And there are things like staggering election commissions that are significant. And there's a lot of other nuts and bolts stuff in there. A similar bill died just before the end of last year's legislative session. This year, the House and Senate have both passed versions of the bill, which now heads to a conference committee. Other election bills still alive include a measure to create a 14-day early voting period. Representative Becky Curry, a Republican from Lincoln County, is on the House Elections Committee. She told MPB News in an interview earlier this year that she still has some concerns about early voting, especially after the recent presidential election. A lot of information came out that may have made you turn and vote the other way that you didn't have if you voted early. So I'm not completely sold on early voting, but we'll see what happens. The legislature is also considering online voter registration and the creation of a study committee to look at restoring voter rights to some nonviolent felons who have completed their sentences. Evelina Burnett, MPB News. The true story of a Klansman and a civil rights activist is hitting the stage. Learn more after Everyday Tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It's the new administration's first 100 days, and the news is coming fast. Protesters arrived here. Keystone XL Pipeline. The Affordable Care Act. Refugee admissions for 100. All Things Considered will be here to help you make sense of it all. Listen every day. Hi, I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. February is American Heart Month, and we're celebrating your heart health all month long with shows focusing on a heart-healthy lifestyle. From healthy diet to how to minimize the impact of diabetes and a plan to keep your body moving, your strong, healthy heart is our focus all month. Join me on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit every Monday at 11 on MPB Think Radio.
This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Sharita Brent in studio with Wilts Couture, IT instructor at Holmes Community College, and Jeremy Thompson, owner of Computer Doctor and Phone Surgeons in Hattiesburg. And today we're going to talk about some scams to watch out for and how to avoid them. Good morning, Jeremy and Wilts. Good morning. Good morning. Let's first talk about who you believe is more susceptible to things like Internet scams and phone scams. I'm sorry, I have to say it. It's, it's definitely the elderly. The technology hasn't been as big of a part of their life, so they don't anticipate these types of things. And also elderly people tend to have a little more, a little more to give away. And mm-hmm. especially down here in the South, uh, people are incredibly charitable. Well, let's talk about a few in particular that we know are problematic. So we just suffered some storm damage. And you said that this is the time when folks are trying to take advantage of people who may have just experienced a storm. What kind of scams may come after a storm? Well, you know, you'll start seeing the people run in the neighborhoods or, you know, you'll start seeing things being blasted out there. It's like, hey, donate to this particular charity. And it may not really be a charity. It could be somebody's uh, household charity. So you really want to look into whenever you're donating funds to make sure that it's a legitimate charity. A way to check that is to actually go to the Secretary of State's website in our state, and they can actually tell you who's registered as a charity, and you can verify some of those things. Yeah, definitely. And also um, uh, be aware of anybody who wants cash up front. If you haven't learned the lesson that if you give them the money, they're probably going to run with it, uh, they're, they're probably going to run with it. Um, maybe if they ask for 25% or 50% up front to get materials and those types of things or to retain the job, that would be legitimate. But given everything up front, no, sir. Yeah, and I would even still be a little bit nervous with that unless you had some really good references. Yeah, I definitely check references. Try to see if they have any online reviews. Look up their name. Just Google people. Just try to find that person. It's, it's much easier to find people now. So let's talk about these email scams. One that I've gotten is, hey, I'm stranded in a faraway country and I need you to send me this amount of money to rescue me. So when you get something like that in the email, especially if you don't have a nephew or especially if you don't have a brother, that's a red flag as well. But that's probably a a pretty common scam, right? Yeah, uh, pretty much anything like that. If they want you to go through MoneyGram or they want you to send them like a PayPal money card, be extremely skeptical. That's one of the quickest ways for scammers to take the money and run. Well, and here's the thing, too, though. Would you ask for somebody for money via email? No. Wouldn't you you actually want to talk to them, see them? I would not be opposed to, you know, helping Sharita out if she was on, like, you know, a big overseas tour or something. But I probably wouldn't just go off of the email. I probably actually want to give a ring to a number where I know where she is and say, Mm -hmm. hey, Rita, is this really you? You need it? Yeah, we got some bail money for you. Me and Jeremy will kick in. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) And uh, one more I wanted to touch on Mm -hmm. um, was when you are shopping like on eBay or some of these different things, uh, what are some ways to know that you are not being scammed when it comes to purchasing things on something like Craigslist or eBay? So uh, Craigslist is a different beast altogether. But I'd say eBay, you rely on the seller ratings. Look back at what other people have said about that seller. That's a good way to keep from getting scammed. Although sometimes a legit seller can have their account hacked and then they can try to slide off some merchandise and reroute their bank account. And uh, that usually doesn't work eBay or the the seller usually catches that before it happens, but it is possible for it to happen. And you mentioned like Craigslist, one of the uh, common scams that I've heard of, especially when people are selling cars or larger dollar items, is people making the request that, hey, I want to buy your car. 
I'm going to send you this certified cashier's check for $10,000. I know you're only selling it for $8,000, but I just already had this check made out. So if you just go ahead and just send me the balance back and what they're actually sending you is an illegitimate cashier's check or a faked money order. These are like expired or bad. Mm. And now you've sent them 2000 of your good money. Think, oh, I got the check. I cashed it. You may find out from a couple of days later from your bank that, no, it didn't quite go through. So it's just one of those. If you don't know the people, if, you're, if you can't really check them on out, you really need to think about it, especially if you're sending your money. And in that same respect, when you sell stuff on Craigslist, you're giving a lot of people your information and they can contact you based on that. Uh, hey, you've got that laptop for sale. And do the same thing that Wilt said. Oh, well, I see you're selling it for $180. Well, I'll send you 240 to send it to my niece at this address. And no, if it gets complicated, just pull the plug. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about scams on Everyday Tech, the show this coming Wednesday morning at 10. You can always send us an email before or during the show to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Couture and Jeremy Thompson, I'm Sherita Brent. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Thanks for listening. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. I'm Eric Westervelt. In 1940, the Nazi war machine was racing across Europe. England was next. Winston Churchill knew conventional forces alone wouldn't defeat Hitler, so he created a secret unit to attack where he was least expecting it, to do maximum damage to this highly mechanized army. Churchill's Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Taryn Brown. The 1971 story of a Klansman and a civil rights activist in North Carolina is at the center of a play opening this week at New Stage Theater in Jackson. It's called Best of Enemies, based on the book by Osha Gray Davidson. As Black History Month draws to an end, director Francine Thomas Reynolds and lead actress Marcy Duncan join us to discuss the civil rights drama. What makes it special is that it is a true story. It's based on a book called Best of Enemies, Race and Redemption in the South by Osha Gray Davidson. And that book was turned into a play. And it's about two people who were adversaries who ended up forging a friendship and taking that friendship on the road, so to speak. Not just adversaries. Not just adversaries. (laughs) I think if this were a fictional play or book, no one would believe it. Exactly. It's it's stretching plausibility. Right, it's a miracle. Who are the two people? Well, the two people are C.P. Ellis, who was the grand cyclops of the Ku Klux Klan in Durham, North Carolina in 1971, and the other person is Anne Atwater, a civil rights activist during that same time. Marcy, you play Anne? I do. I play Anne Atwater. She is an amazing role to play. She is a pistol, Mm -hmm. I'd like to call her. (laughs) What drew you to the role? I think when you see a woman in history that has um, passion, incredible strength, and grit all together, to me, those are qualities that I am drawn to. Now, she has some other qualities as which you have to take the bitter with the sweet with Anne. But I think that grit, that power, that confidence, and that passion 
is something that I also possess. And so I think those are the things that drew me along with the powerful story. Francine, these two are the antithesis of one another. Right. How are they brought together? Well, they're brought together by Bill Riddick, who was a real-life person, who was a community organizer, and he had the idea to hold charrettes because at that time in Durham, North Carolina, the schools were supposed to be desegregated um, because of a court case that came down in April of 1971. And this eventually turned into busing. But there were rioting. There was um, civil unrest. And so the city wanted to bring people together. And Bill Riddick had a grant from the Department of Education to bring people together to talk. And his idea was the charrette, where people talk and talk and talk, and they don't leave until they come to some solution. And in, and in the true um, history event, it was a 10-day um, session where people came together for 10 days. Now, the play's timeline is a little bit different, but it follows the facts. Of course, the play takes the facts and distills them into an interesting and sometimes entertaining story, but the main story is the conflict between Anne and CP, and then what happens to them. Beyond the play, in real life, was there a retribution for him from the other clan members? Absolutely. He disavowed the clan, and they and they were his friends too, and they totally turned against him in real life. Both Anne and CP um, had, had lots of struggles. They were not um, wealthy. They were actually very poor. Um, so, and that's part of the story too. That's where they can find some. I don't want to give too much of the story no, no, away, no, but don't. they find some common ground. So, how much of the play is true to the book, and how much is the book true to? What really happened? It's pretty true. Um, there are a few things taken, like um, license taken with CP's wife's story, that type of thing. But it actually um, follows the book. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I know um, Marcy's researched Anne more than I have. Yeah, I was so. going to ask. Yes. Anne Atwater is still alive, is she not? She just died. Um, she was about eighty. I think she was 80 or 81 when she passed away. So, so you didn't get a chance to speak with her? I did not. But there, there's a plethora of information and video and hearing her voice. I've heard um, videos and audio recordings of her voice, and her voice is just, it is so magnetic. So that's her, given you some inspiration? It definitely for this? has. It definitely has. As an actor, did you have to lay out carefully from the beginning to the end? Because there's such a transition for your character. It is. And um, as an actor, one of the things that I like to do as a part of my process is, is in the beginning, list out those things about the character that align directly with myself. Because those are the things that I don't have to reach too far to present. And those are the things that ground me as, as the character. The other thing that I like to do is I like to list our differences and the ways that we differ. Because as an actor, those are the tendencies that we have to judge the character. And so I like to put that stuff out there right away to say, okay, here are the ways that I'm like her, but here are the ways that I'm not like her. And then my job and my challenge has been to find a way to relate to the ways that I'm not like her. And that has been the process over this time. Francine, when people come to the theater, they're not necessarily just seeing the play. You have some special events planned alongside. Right. Because of some of the language and topic in the play, I I feel that the play will leave people wanting to talk and have some questions answered. Discover how this relates to current events and how it relates to what we're experiencing Today, So we've developed some partnerships to um, provide ancillary um, events during the run of the play. 
One partnership is with the William Winters Institute on Racial Reconciliation, and they will be with us tomorrow night. They will be doing a panel before the show at 6.30 p.m. in our Hughes Room, and this is free for everyone. And then they will be staying after the show and joining us for a post-performance conversation. And then on Wednesday, March 1st, that will be a night with Millsap's Department of History, and they're presenting a panel on racial reconciliation. And that will be interesting because that has the view from Civil Rights America and Civil Rights in South Africa. And they will be staying for a a panel after the show. And that will focus more on truth and reconciliation in that process. And that will be a college night. And then on Tuesday, March 7th, we'll be partnering with the Margaret Walker Center and JSU. And they will be presenting a panel on arts and activism and then staying again for a post-performance conversation. And that will be another college night. And there's special discounts for college students on those nights. It's a $10 ticket, those nights for college students. That's great. Now, people can find out about tickets and times and all that uh, on your website? That's right, newstagetheater.com. Well, thank you both for coming in. Break a leg all around. Thank Thank you. you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, now you're talking with Marshall Ramsey. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app in any mobile store. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio.